Greetings everybody, Andy Dukes here and a warm welcome to the latest Ride and Talk podcast. Have we got something special, or someone special, for you today? We sure do. He's a big man who also happens to be a larger-than-life character that brings out the best in people wherever he goes. You may know him as a brand ambassador in the USA, and you may have been trained by him to improve your riding skills, as he's a certified road and off-road instructor. Or you may even know him as one of the faces of the international GS Trophy community, as he's co-hosted the daily highlight shows that bring all of the action to fans watching all over the world. You'll see him again soon in Albania later this year, of course. He's briefly featured on this podcast before, but we thought it was high time we heard from him again. So I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Sean Thomas. How are you doing, my friend? (laughs) I'm really good, Andy. It's good to talk to you, buddy. Now, listen, I first met you in California in 2017 when I was riding coast to coast across the States with my big bro, who says hello, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a good ride. (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah. Now, you took us on that fantastic ride, and I think we ended up in Davenport on the bluffs overlooking the Pacific Ocean. So was that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a, it's a must-see, I think, for people that come to California. you got to see the Pacific Ocean from the Pacific Coast Highway. It's good stuff. Now, you had a young but eager pillion passenger that day, your daughter Haley, who was maybe only 11 or 12. I, I don't quite remember, but she's recently got her own motorcycle license and is the proud owner of a G310R. So just <laughs> how is she enjoying life on two wheels and are you enjoying riding with her? Because it's been a bit of a dream for both of you, I think. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's very exciting. Um, you know, I both my kids, of course, me being in the motorcycle industry as a career, you know, they've been exposed to it since as long as they could sit on the seat. And, uh, and I've, I've always wanted it for them if they wanted it. And Haley has always been extremely enthusiastic about motorcycles. You know, she always wants to ride with me and, and she's always been talking to me about, I want to have my own bike and I want to go on my own rides and have my own good times. And so it was really exciting for me, uh, for her to turn 15 and at Christmas time to surprise her with this brand spanking new BMW G310R. And, uh, you know, of course she was absolutely ecstatic and nervous and it's been a really fun journey because she's still in the process of getting licensed and in in the U S she has to take um, safety courses. And then on top of that, I'm running her through different courses from people that I've met over the years that teach motorcycle riding in all different genres. And, and it's been really exciting and and fun and nerve wracking and, you know, all the things, you know, to watch her um, grow as a rider and, and stumble and get back up and keep going. And, and it's, it's just, it's, it's everything I ever wanted. Yeah, I totally understand. And uh, good luck to her. I'm sure she's going to have a fantastic life on two wheels. So, okay. So before I met you, I knew by reputation. And by that, I mean, because you were an official brand ambassador in the USA. But can you tell the listeners what that means exactly? Yeah. um, You know, about almost 20 years ago now, geez, I I started working at a BMW motorcycle dealership. And uh, there's a a big learning curve because even then there was a lot of bikes in the lineup and there was a lot of different styles of riding. And I was still wrapping my head around what, what the bikes were and what the technology was and all the different things that make, make them up. And uh, BMW used to send me to trainings, um, mostly sales trainings, you know, I'd go in and learn, you know, what it is, what's the best process to help a person sort of choose the bike that's right for them. And what was really interesting about that is they would send us, send us to this facility where they taught, um, people have sales technique, but they also taught mechanics, how to work on motorcycles and mechanics, how to work on cars. And so they have this massive facility with these big bays with, um, 
cars, especially cars in, in various states of disrepair. And they had um, students learning how to work on them. And, uh, and then I was there for sales training once and I, I took a walk um, to go to see what the facility had to offer. And I ended up in this room and it was empty at the time, other than a, a BMW car um, with its engine out and all of these intimate components of the motor were sort of laid out on a big table. And, and I went over there and started looking at them. And I'm not terribly mechanically inclined, but I have a, a sense of things in, that work inside of a car. And as I was looking at these different pieces of equipment, I came across the connecting rod, the rod that connects the piston to the crank of the car. And I noticed that it was broken. And I remember thinking to myself and, and actually saying out loud, what does it take to break one of these? You know, this thing is engineered to go hundreds of thousands of miles. And mm. how, how could it be broken? It's really interesting. And, and I sort of mumbled that aloud and a voice from behind me said, Hey, you know, how you doing? And, and I you know, jumped because I, I wasn't really supposed to be in there probably. And, and it turned out he was the teacher, the instructor there. And he had just wandered in and, and he said that that's broken on purpose. And I said, I said, what really? And he goes, yeah, pick it up. And I picked it up and I was looking at it and I go, why is it broken on purpose? And he goes, well, it's really interesting that we have found that, um, if we create the connecting rod in a, as a single piece and, um, we break it where it connects to the crank of the bike. And again, where it connects to the piston, we sort of create a, a full circle where those pieces connect. And then we intentionally, we freeze it and break it in half. And what happens is, is when you put those two pieces together, because it's broken, they have rough surfaces, but those two rough surfaces mate perfectly together because they were originally mm -hmm. one piece. And that makes the overall connecting rod much stronger than it would be if you simply had, you know, flat metal against flat metal. And I went, wow, that is so cool. He goes, yeah, it's really interesting. And you know, the car is chock full of technology like that. I go, wow, that's, that's really neat. I, I wonder if they'll ever do that sort of thing on the motorcycles. And he said, oh, they do that on the bikes. I said, what? I've never heard of that. And he goes, oh yeah. Yeah. The bikes have had that for a long time. And I go, well, dude, like <laughs> I never heard of that before. And so I went back into the, the sales room and where the trainer, who's a very good trainer in new motorcycle technology, as well as he knew sales technique. And I said, Hey, I just learned this thing about pistons and connecting rods and how it exists on some BMW motorcycles. And I'm really interested, like, why isn't that kind of thing published? Like, why don't we know about that stuff as salespeople? And he says, well, Generally, the idea behind BMW and the sort of marketing is that they, they want it to be less about the tech and more about the sort of overall experience. You know, you get on the bike and you go and you let your hair down and you have this really good fun and you escape and, you know, you focus in a new and different and beautiful way and you explore. And that's the goal. You know, the goal isn't to get into the nitty gritty of the technology. And, and I said, well, that's, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I kind of disagree because I feel like some people, not everybody, but some people are excited about the technology. And, and as a salesperson, if, if I know that stuff, then I sort of have that knowledge in my quiver. And if I ever need it, then I can impress upon somebody, some of the things about the bike that they wouldn't otherwise know. And so when I went back to start selling bikes again, back at the dealership, I started looking at the bikes in a totally new way as thinking to myself, you know, what is it about these machines that, that has these intimate little secrets that are so cool that and interesting that I don't know yet. So I started doing a lot of digging and I started trying to connect with people that were, um, you know, in the know at BMW in different ways and sending out probably what they thought were obnoxious emails from another salesperson out in America, you know, <laughs> but I started to try to connect and get a sense of what, what, what it was all about, what their thinking was, what the process was. And, 
and that sort of became my mantra. You know, when I was learning about a new bike, I tried to dig as deep as I could and understand it. And ultimately when I left selling motorcycles and started um, being, I became a motorcycle tour guide and a off-road and on-road riding instructor. Um, I, I kept that knowledge and I shared it with customers and students and, and a little at a time, BMW in the U S started taking notice of me and, and the services I offered and the knowledge that I brought to the table. And eventually their training department came to me and said, Hey, you know, we, we need a fresh face to help us train new salespeople and, and, uh, help them understand product. Would you be interested in helping us out? I go, oh yeah, I'm all over that. So, so they brought me on to sort of start training dealers so they would understand new product. And I always made it a point to, to dig deep with them and say, let's go beyond, you know, the fact that it's a sport bike and it's designed to go fast. Let's dig into the engineering concept. Let's dig into the minds of people that work at BMW that design this because they're very interesting people. And what they do to make these bikes exceptional is very, very interesting. And I think that it, it'll help you. And that sort of morphed into eventually BMW noticing from their marketing side and saying, Hey, would you like to sort of share that knowledge with not just dealers, but the customers that buy the bikes and, you know, help us make some product videos. And I'm like, yeah. And then yeah, Germany started taking notice and, and those projects started expanding and spanning. So um, ultimately the title of brand ambassador sort of came to be, it's not something that ever existed in, in, um, quite in the specialty that I bring to the table. It was just something that I said, well, this is sort of a natural, um, evolution that you'll, you know, now have this title and people will sort of know you as a person that's sort of in the know about bikes. So here I am today, brand ambassador for the USA and occasionally for other countries as well. It's good stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. And I can't fault your enthusiasm at all. And I think that, that, probably well almost definitely came across when you were selling motorcycles but all the way through to what you're doing now um yeah it's 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 not a difficult brand to be enthusiastic about but what i love is is the fact that you know there's so much blood sweat tears love creativity ingenuity that's gone into producing the the bikes that we ride and and certainly some of the cars that some of us drive and it, a lot of it remains hidden, you know, so it's great yeah. to actually have an understanding and appreciation of actually it's, it's so much more than form, so much more than function. It's putting it all together. <laughs> I remember um, the first time I ever went to Munich um, to go to sort of BMW's main facilities and meet with them there and learn about product. I didn't realize it until I was standing out in front of the facility that I just had this image in my mind of how a BMW motorcycle was created. And in my mind, it had nothing to do with people. <laughs> it was, it was a, you know, there was a, a big supercomputer in a basement somewhere that sort of determined that the market was ready for a certain type of model. And it would sort of spit out, you know, this is what that model should be. And this is what the specs should be. And then that got forwarded along to some manufacturing plant and the bikes got spit out, you know, <laughs> it was all very impersonal to me. And it wasn't until I was standing in front of the building in Munich and I'm looking at this sea of motorcycles that are parked out in front of the facility and they're all dirty and the tires are worn and people are riding these things hard. And I go, wow, that's interesting. And I walk inside and it's like almost every table where somebody was working, their motorcycle gear was hanging behind it. And you know, that gear was, was, was road worn and sun bleached. And I went, man, these people really ride. And I, I just never occurred to me that, that motorcycles were created by motorcycle riders, but here we are. It's good stuff. Let me tell you something. It doesn't happen with every brand, but it mm. sure does happen with BMW Motorrad. Mm. Um, okay. So it sounds to me like you landed, or should I say you earned the right to have 
a real dream job. But that kind of job <laughs> comes with a lot of responsibility, though, doesn't it? That it does. Um, it is a you know a constant effort to be in the know in terms of new products as they come out. And you know, I'm I'm constantly tested um, by people that are um, you know asking questions about bikes that that I've maybe never heard the the question before, and I'm I'm having to go and scramble and and find the answer. And what I typically tell people is. You know, my knowledge of the brand is, is not limitless. Like I, I, there's things I don't know, but I know who does know. And so if you ask me, I, chances are, I can find the right person to, to get the answer. I think it can't always get it right away, but generally I can usually figure it out. If it's, if there is an answer given, I can probably find it. Absolutely. 100%. I know you can find it. I've asked you things in the past <laughs> before. By the way, it's really great to have you on this podcast, Sean, but as I recall, you used to have your own podcast, didn't you? Back in the day. I- yeah, it was called Moto Talk. Yeah, I had that for for several years uh, back in the day. It was a really good time. Why ever happened to it? Well, um, you know, I started it um, because uh, you know I used to lead motorcycle tours, and um, it was very interesting to lead tours because a tour guide has to be so many things in order to be a good tour guide, in my estimation. And I wanted to try and be a good tour guide, you know. And you have, of course, have to get everybody from A to B safely, and that's obvious, but you, you know, you have to figure out all the logistics, where are you going to eat? Where are you going to get gas? Where's everybody going to park? And, and, uh, and then w- once you're off the bike, you have to do all of these other things. You know, you have to be someone that's encouraging. You have to be a cheerleader. You have to be an instructor or a coach. You have to, um, you know, help people when they're feeling down and, and celebrate when they're feeling good. And you know, there's a little counseling that occurs and, and I'm not, not to say that I'm spectacular at it, but, but I did find it a very interesting practice to try to be all of those things at once. And what I found was, is oftentimes when the ride was done and, and for the day, and we we're sitting around a campfire and everybody has sort of had this bonding experience of riding together in the back country, um, we get to talking and, and I felt it was one of my jobs to sort of encourage people that may have sort of be in their shell to, to open up a little bit and let us all know about who they are and what they're about. And, and one time in particular, I had this guy um, and I was sitting around campfire with him. And, and I asked him, so what's your story, man? Like, how did you come to be here and, you know, become an adventure writer and, and be sharing this time with us today? And, and this guy goes on to tell the story about how he lived in this very oppressive country and how his family basically defected and escaped and, and got to the U S and it was this crazy story about this harrowing tale of adventure getting here and then getting here in a, in, as a kid in the U S and not speaking a word of English and learning the language and then, um, and then eventually going to school and then going from another school, graduate school, and eventually getting his uh, degree and becoming an oncologist, we got his doctorate and, and then moving to Alaska and being this oncologist way out in the Alaskan backcountry, And, and then ultimately, you know, leading him to his joy of motorcycles and, and coming and sitting there at that campfire between us. And I'm just staring at this guy with my jaw dropped going, that is an amazing story. And I, I realized imagine. like, it was so good. And I, I said to myself, you know, people need to know these stories. I hear good stories from people all the time and they're exceptional stories from otherwise what we might think of as ordinary people. And of course I've met a lot of exceptional, extraordinary people with extraordinary stories. And I thought I got to get this out there. I'm interested in that. And, and so I decided that a podcast was the way to do it. And so I, I derived the idea for Moto Talk and started um, recording and, and, recorded several episodes, got to sit down with some really cool people and talk to them. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then fast forward a few years later, um, I was 
still working as a tour guide, but, um, but at the time I, I was in charge of transporting this moment, I was transporting a truck full of motorcycle gear and equipment from a to B across the U S then I stopped for the night to stay at a hotel. And while I was asleep, somebody broke into the truck and they stole all of my stuff. They stole all of my podcasting gear. But I also, you know, as I said, you know, as a tour guide, you carry a lot of roles. So I was also a photographer. I had photography gear stashed away. That, that all got stolen. And I had all my motorcycle gear and my camping gear. And it was, it was, you know, 15,000 euro or dollars worth of stuff that was just gone in a flash and tragic. It was awful. And, and I was, you know, I kept a, to use a phrase that I've heard Mr. Andy Dukes use, I kept a stiff upper lip, but the truth was, <laughs> um, the truth was, is on the inside, I was really broken up. You know, it's a major violation to have something terrible like that happen. And, um, and I, I was really struggling. I was very depressed and, and, you know, I had insurance, but it wasn't going to cover it. And, and so I was out all of a sudden, I didn't have the money to replace it. And I just really went into this tailspin and I had just recorded this amazing podcast the day before I was really excited about it, but I hadn't, um, downloaded it and edited it yet. It was still sitting uh, in the gear that was ultimately stolen. And, uh, so I just really, really struggled with that. And, and my friends, uh, came to me and all basically insisted that they help to, um, get me back on my feet. And they, they started this campaign to, to help me get the funds to get all my things back together. And, um, I, I struggle with that a lot because I, I don't like taking things from people for nothing. I don't, you know, I, my friends want to help me and I appreciate that, but I, I really have a rough time accepting help when, when I'm not giving anything in return. And, but my friends, you know, they, they jostled me about and said, no, this is the way it's gotta be. You gotta, you gotta let your friends help you. This is what we do for each other. This is what the motorcycling community does for each other. And that's exactly what happened. People I'd never met, um, came together and helped me get back on my feet and helped me get my equipment back and, and that sort of thing. And, and I just never forgot that it, it made me fall in love with motorcycling community all over again, because these people that I've to this day, you know, it was years ago, it was 20, 2015. And to this day, I haven't met all the people that, that helped me. Um, but I, I definitely appreciate them. And, um, I told myself, you know, there's going to be a day when podcasting comes back. I, I, I need to do it again. I, I really enjoyed having those stories told. It's really fun to step away from being the leader and being the person that is sort of the focal point of any conversation, like you are as a tour guide and let somebody else take that stage. And I just really yeah. enjoyed that. I thought someday, and I just, it wasn't the right time. You know, once I got things back on my feet, I thought, you know, this podcast needs to take a rest, but it wasn't the right time at the time. But I said, you know, someday, someday I'm coming back. It's going to be great. <laughs> someday I'm coming back. That's a that's a really good story. I'm really interested to know. I don't know if you can reveal it or not, but who the person was that uh, you had that fantastic interview with, and and I guess it never appeared, did it? I guess it never got published because it's uh, it got lost. Yeah, it got lost, and and it was it was great because it was the interview was was so good and it had such good energy. And I you know I tell my you know sometimes when you have an exceptional experience with something. It's like, it's so good that you say, I don't think I could ever get this right again. If I had the chance to do exactly the same thing again, it wouldn't be the same. And that's really where it left. And, you know, it could be that someday I find that uh, extraordinary woman and I interview her again and, and try to get it to go, but uh, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, good story. And uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope you get to uh, fulfill that, uh, that, that dream and interview that person again, for sure. So 
So I've always thought that you've got a great broadcasting voice and so much passion for the motorcycle world, so much knowledge about it as well. So it seems like an opportune moment to tell our listeners some really exciting news. After around 70 episodes of this podcast, 70, I can't believe that. I've decided to hang up my headphones and I'm going to be passing on the ride and talk button to you, Sean. I can't think of a more suitable or better qualified host. So congratulations, my friend. I know that I'm leaving this podcast in very capable hands. And of course, I've always wondered what it would be like to be on the other side of the studio, as it were. So perhaps it should be you asking me the questions now. In fact, should we do that? Yeah, I think it's that time. Um, and I appreciate it. And I got to tell you before I ask you anything, I, I, I have a lot of respect for you, my friend. And it's a little bittersweet um, this moment because, uh, you know, I've listened to your podcast and, and I've, I've loved it and I'm really happy for you to be moving on. Um, but it also is, you know, I think for me and, and for your listeners, it's, it's tough to see you go. So I, I wish you well, but I, uh, I, if I get a little emotional during this, it's, that's why. <laughs> no problem at all, my friend. No problem at all. I'm just going to sort of sit back and relax and uh, just be on the other side of the fence. So uh, yeah, let's give it a go over to you, my friend. Thank you. I do have some questions for you and I've always been Ask interested. Away. In. Ask away. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed about, you know, of course, when you interview people is that, you know, you are the person asking the questions and, and we don't get to hear much about you. And, and there's a lot that I am very interested in about you, Andy. And, and one of which is how did you get involved with the brand of BMW Motorrad? Where did that begin? Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah, it began a while ago, I can tell you. So uh, I'll try and uh, keep it fairly short and to the point. But my background's in motorcycle journalism. I used to write for several bike magazines back in the late 90s. I've always been very much into sport bikes and motorcycle racing, though. So at that time, I never really crossed paths with BMW. It wasn't really seen as a sporty brand. So apart from these conversations I had with this old biker friend of mine called Vic, and he lived and breathed BMW, BMW bikes. And he told me at least twice a week that if I was serious about motorcycling, sooner or later, I'd own a BMW. I didn't think I would, Sean. I really didn't. But I tested a couple of them in 1997 or 1998, which really pricked my interest. The first mm. of them was an R1100 RT. And I did mm. this road trip from London to Wales. And it was awful weather, sub-zero temperatures. But for the first time in my biking life, I arrived warm, toasty and dry. And all those things that that guy Vic had said about ergonomics, comfort, suspension, gearing, fuel economy, all of that, they were ringing in my ears, you know. Nice. Couldn't believe how good that bike was. And the other one was actually an R1100 GS, around about mm. the same time. And you've got to remember that this was still considered a bit of a quirky brand in the UK at that time. And this, mm. to me, was a hell of a quirky bike, or, or so I thought, anyway. I'd never ridden anything like it before, but... Well, that's not exactly true. I actually lived in Paris in, in the early 90s. That's, that's actually, I did my motorcycle license over there. Oh. Um, I could already ride, of course, but to actually have a license to enable me to get a bigger bike. And the French were really big into their sort of Africa Twins and Trans Alps. I think it had to do with the Dakar Rally at the time. But mm. So that's what the schools used. You know, those bikes, they were smooth, refined. Japanese, mm. I suppose, you, you know, maybe a bit characterless, but reliable. And conversely, this R1100GS, it just seemed a lot more agricultural. But at the same time, you know, it had attitude, presence, manners that just put a real smile on your face every time you blip the throttle and, and the whole thing rocked, literally, you know, from side to side. 
I, I kind of miss that characteristic nowadays, but yeah, everyone's divided on that one. So that, so that was actually my intro to the bikes. But as, as for the brand, we've got to sort of fast forward a couple of years. And, and by now I'm working as a publishing director at a sports marketing agency for a former MotoGP and Isle of Man TT winner. And naturally our, our work focused on motorcycling and, and we're publishing customer magazines for several rival brands and running events and working with world superbike teams, that kind of thing. But BMW Motorrad UK and their top man at the time, a guy called David Taylor, they tasked us with bringing together an activity program concept, something that would include you know, off-road tuition on GS bikes, on-track training on any BMW bike, tours all over the world and other nice. customer, customer events, that kind of thing. But it was never meant to be a club as such, but more a case of you bought your bike. Now, what's the next step? What can you do on it? Where can you go? It, it sort of seems obvious now, but back then, sort of nobody was really doing that, at least not in the UK anyway. So I called this program the World of BMW, and I registered that domain name, worldofbmw.com, and the rest is history. I mean, it's still going to this day, that activity program, and it's, it's managed by people much more capable than I, I can tell you. So one of those early trips that we did uh, in, within World of BMW was to the BMW Biker Meeting in Garmisch around 20 mm. years ago. Of course, now everyone knows it as BMW Motorrad Days, of course, yeah. but that was its original name. And we chartered an entire Eurotunnel train. We took several hundred riders across, and we had an incredible party. And it's so good, in fact, that I really can't remember too much about it, if I'm honest. But what I do remember was it is one of the best branding exercises that I'd ever seen. You know, everyone there was welcomed with open arms to just come and have a look at the wonderful world of BMW Motorrad. And that event, I mean, it was built on inclusivity, friendship, camaraderie, and of course, a few beers here and there. And I was hooked. You know, I just decided there and then that this was a brand I'd like to do more with. And I got my opportunity in about 2005 when one of the guys I'd worked with in the UK was promoted to a great job in Munich as VP of sales and marketing. And he rang, he rang me a few weeks later and he said, Andy, there are some amazing things happening over here, but no one's really talking about it. They're all too busy. Can you help? Hmm. So I came up with this storytelling concept where we created and supplied the global dealer network with a weekly list of content that they could share with their customers. It wasn't corporate press release stuff, but you know, real riders doing cool stuff on their bikes. We wrote loads of stories about BMW riders from mm. all over the world. And again, you know, it was it was pretty new back then. You know, it had been so much easier with user-generated content, social media channels, Facebook groups, YouTube, yeah. and but all that came later, of course. But when it did, BMW Motorrad was way ahead of the game. And of course, I got involved with all of that and yeah. loved the challenge of creating movies, doing Facebook, Instagram live streams, presenting from all kinds of events. So I feel really lucky that I've, you know, built my career over the last 20 years, just basically talking about bikes and writing about bikes. I feel very, very lucky. That's really interesting to think that, you know, in 2005, when you were creating this content, I was one of the recipients of that content. And, you know, of course, not knowing who the architect was of it, but uh, it makes it has added to a level of respect that I have for you. Now, I also, of course, know you from the GS trophy um, where I saw you sort of as the face of the trophy for social media in recent years. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your experience with the trophy? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be quick because I could talk for, for forever about this. But yeah, I mean, 
I was fortunate enough to go in 2012 to South America, uh, mm. 2014 to Canada, 2016 to Thailand, 2018 to Mongolia, which I believe was your first international event, wasn't it? And then, of course, that 2020 was. New Zealand. Unbelievable event. Unbelievable camaraderie, unbelievable community. Um, but, you know, what was most important in terms of what we were doing was telling everybody back home about it you know that mm. there's no point there's no point you know 150 or however many riders having this incredible time on their bikes you know on the other side of the world if the rest of the gs community or motorrad community didn't know about it so communication became all important of course in the early days that was almost impossible because by definition a lot of the, a lot of the uh, places that we went to were pretty remote locations but all yeah. that's in, improved massively now and uh, i just think the the event has built, you know, with e with each trophy events built massively, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to uh, following it from a distance this year. So it was it was so interesting. I remember in in Mongolia being in the middle of nowhere, and you know, a hundred miles from anything, and having these little satellite dishes set up, and you standing out there on Facebook Live with a freaking sandstorm behind you, you know, billowing and talking about, you know, the wild horses you're seeing and the and the camels and just going, man, just just having that glimpse of what it's like to be in such an exotic place is so cool. Because most people are watching are probably sitting at their office going, oh, I really want to be there right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that was the thing, you know, that there were three, as you know, three riders uh that that had every right they'd fought hard they competed they'd effectively beaten all the other gs riders in their country who had entered their own national qualifying event so so they were so lucky to be there but you know this the event isn't just about the competition it's it's about spreading the joy you know yeah. and to spread the joy you've got to you've got to tell everybody else what's going on and make them feel like they're a part of it as well and i hope that that between us and and everyone else involved and there are big teams involved. I'm pretty sure that we, we did okay with that. I think that my favorite part about um, events like the trophy is that it's, it's so pleasantly surprising the type of people you meet because there is just this, this kindness and this humility that comes from riding motorcycles that I love. And I'll bet you've met some pretty interesting people along the way. Can you tell me a little bit about who you've met that have really made an impression on you? Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, I mean, too many to mention here, Sean, but you know, of course I really enjoyed meeting and interviewing some of the well-known faces that, that had an association with the brand, you know, like Ewan and Charlie in their long way around days. I don't know, Orlando Bloom, Guy Martin, Milijovovich. But, you know, I always preferred a good story. And there were plenty mm. of, I don't know, let's say ordinary people, but doing extraordinary things, you know, with their BMW bikes over the years. Those were the people that interested me most. You know, people like Dylan Wickrama, Helga Pedersen, Michael Martin, Nate Kern, Matty Griffin, and of course, Chris Pfeiffer, God rest his soul. You know, I, I feel really privileged to have featured all of them on Ride and Talk and, and many others, of course, you know, guys like Ted Simon, Peter Nettesheim, um, the wonderful Elspeth Beard, Sam Manicom, Fred Jacobs, and many more. I mean, there are so many great stories out there, but so many more for you to discover, of course, Sean. I am very much looking forward to that. I think what interests me most about um, talking to people like um, you've mentioned Helga Peterson to the world, for example, is that you know, we're talking about ordinary people just like us who went out and did something extraordinary. You know, they're not they weren't born for this. They figured it out and found a way and followed their dream. It's really interesting. And it, 
harkens me to you know meeting you for the first time and you were if i recall in the middle of a round the world ride which is an extraordinary feat can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that yeah i mean i've i've you know probably gone into too much detail about my history with the brand but because it, i've been working for so long with the brand i was year on year feeling more and more guilty about not actually going off and having my own adventure you know i'd be sitting in my comfortable armchair in my comfortable office at home writing content writing stories doing podcasts even you know just mm. literally writing stories about people doing incredible things and it just got me thinking hang on a sec you know you're a bit of a fraud andy dukes if you just stay at home i mean you're inspiring people with your words for sure but you're not actually doing anything yourself and at the time I was uh, I was a runner and and of course I was a rider too and I thought okay I'm going to ride around the world I was running a lot of marathons at the time and I thought I'm going to do a marathon on each continent and I'm wow. going to basically join the dots together by riding so I thought okay yeah six marathons six continents I'll call it the marathon ride it all kind of fits and uh, so that was my that was my angle, if you like, because I thought, well, you know, the, the the riding around the world thing is something I've always wanted to do. But the the marathon, being a journalist at, and a marathon runner, it just gave me an angle, you know, to sort of hit different uh, target media as well. So there there was a different story in there. Mm. I won't say it wasn't just riding around the world because riding around the world is is, is an amazing thing, you know. But it it just gave me something to focus on. So I, I absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it, but it but it was born out of feeling guilty for uh, not having my own adventure and not feeling worthy. We're not worthy, so uh, <laughs> I wanted to do something about it, and uh, so yeah, got off my butt and did it. So absolutely glad I did. I love that you not only decided that you needed to go live the life that you uh, shared with everybody, but that you just outdid yourself. Like I'm not just going to go ride around the world; I'm going to go run to. <laughs> <laughs> between you and totally me, stupid mate runner. totally stupid <laughs> I mean, I, you know 100% I shouldn't I shouldn't have done it that way uh, I did do it that way but the the biggest mistake I made in doing that was I gave myself deadlines I gave myself deadlines because I, I had to pick marathons that would enable me to get to a certain country or a certain part of a country, a certain place I wanted to pick interesting marathons so for example I wanted to do the Outback Marathon in Australia. I wanted to do the Kuala Lumpur Marathon. I wanted to do the Nelson Mandela Marathon in Cape Town. I wanted to do the Berlin Marathon because, of course, that was sponsored by BMW. And I wanted to do Vegas because, hey, it's Vegas, baby. And it was a night marathon. And it also was, you know, part of that coast to coast ride when I met you. So, but of course, all that meant that I was always on a deadline. I was always. Yeah effectively having to be somewhere and if anyone here listening is planning their own round the world ride or any kind of long ride just give yourself time mm. do not rush because it's unlikely that you're going to do it twice you know yeah. and the amount of times when i think i should have just stayed there for an extra day week month or whatever but i always had to be the guy who had somewhere to be so that's the biggest mm. advice you're going to get and probably the only advice you're going to get from me today I remember um, one of the people you interviewed once, uh, Sam Manicombe, um, he, he said something that really resonated with me. He said, you can be a tourist or you can be a traveler. And a tourist has an agenda and they have a place to be and they have a time to be there. And a traveler just goes. They go and they just absorb. And that may mean they stay a day. It may mean they stay a month. But being a traveler is a really special way to go. And I just never forgot that. I've never been able to pull it off. You know, I always got other places to be. No. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. I mean, Sam's a wonderful guy and I wish I could be 
as laid back as him. But I mean, you know, my wife said to me before I left, you know, she said, okay, go off and have your midlife crisis, go and do your ride, but stay away for more than a year and don't bother coming back. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind all the time. (laughs) I'm glad she was so subtle about it. That's beautiful. (laughs) These Dutch, they don't mince their words. (laughs) So um, what did you learn from this amazing round the world trip of yours? Well, apart from the, the biggest lesson of you know, don't rush it, I would say that, you know, I learned that the world is an amazingly beautiful, diverse and precious place. You know, we live mm-hmm. on a wonderful planet that really needs taken care of. And also, I learned that people care about their fellow humans. They really do. I mean, there's a lot of crap going on in the world at the moment and a lot of difficult situations, but most of the time, people care they want to look after them and that was something that really came home to me many times i guess if you had to sum it up in a phrase it would be the the kindness of strangers you know sort of contrary to what the media would have us believe most places in the world that i traveled to you know people were kind they were interested they wanted to help me and and actually when you're away from home you you have to put your faith in others but it's these chance Mm. encounters with those kind of strange not strange people, but but people that you don't know that can make a real difference to how you experience that life on the road. And and from my side, you know, I set off alone on that trip, but I was rarely alone. You know, I always knew there was a bit of a risk traveling solo because it makes you more vulnerable. Mm. But for sure, that opens doors, that creates opportunities and encounters that would just never happen otherwise. So the incredible BMW Motorrad community out there. I mean, that was something that I didn't learn. I already knew they were out there, but by goodness, they, they, they supported me every step of the way, you know, and, Mm. but if you had to sort of say, you know, overall sum it up, Andy, you know, life is short, live your dreams. Now you never know what's around the corner. I mean, since that trip as you know, Sean, you know, I I was diagnosed with cancer and I'm hoping to make a full recovery, but Mm. if I don't, for whatever reason, and I'm unable to do that kind of thing again, I'll always have those memories to look back on, you know, and I feel really, really fortunate about that. You know, uh, I'm probably poorly quoting Mark Twain by saying that um, he once said something along the lines of travel is the death of prejudice. And it's been an experience for me after traveling around the world to start off with sort of kicking and screaming. I did it not because I necessarily wanted to, but I had to for work. And now, of course, I love it is that you just meet wonderful people. And and I remember when you and I met, and I don't remember who connected us. Somebody probably said, you should talk to this guy, Sean, if you're going to be in California and let's go ride. Um, I think I invited myself to your house to stay the night and uh, take us on, take me, myself and my brother on a bit of a trip and uh, show us a few places to camp in the uh, Redwoods. Yeah. I remember, and, and I remember, you know, how quickly we connected, you know, and, and the, the kindness, you know, that, that I am so accustomed to seeing around the world was immediately there. And I don't know if you know this, but we met, um, some months later and, uh, we, uh by chance you and I were both at BMW's corporate office in, in the USA and it was on my birthday and I was really a little depressed because I was working uh, all day and into the night on my birthday. And it was a day that I just kind of wanted to be solemn and think about my age and who I was and where I was in my life. And then you just popped in and suddenly you're there and you mentioned, Hey, it's my birthday today. And I'm like, I had no idea we share the same birthday. And it just absolutely 
made me feel so good. It, it turned my day around. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, it was, it was a, it was a lovely moment, wasn't it? I've actually still got a picture. I think we took a selfie on that day. I've got it somewhere. I will uh, send it to you and hopefully you'll be able to publish it with the podcast. Cause it's probably the only picture of the two of us together when there's not another 20 GS riders in the frame or whatever. That's probably true. And you know, we're, we're both the same height too, more or less. And uh, that's a rare thing for me, you know, to stand next to somebody and not have to hunch. So we look like we're the same. I was like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> and I think at the time I had a bit of a dodgy beard and uh, mustache as well. So we, we kind of looked, you know, fairly similar too. Yeah. You looked then like I look now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what now, Andy, you're moving on um, after this stunning career. What, what are your plans? Ah. Uh, you know what, because of that diagnosis I got and the subsequent surgery I needed, I spent a lot of time in hospital bed and that certainly gives you a lot of time to think. And I thought to myself, if I ever get out of this mess, I'm not going to spend my days behind the desk in an office, even if I'm writing about motorcycles, which I love, you know, I just thought I've got to get out there and live each day. So I promised myself that I'd organize my affairs, wrap up my business interests, sell a few things and go traveling again, just in mm. case I can't in the future. So this time I'm not going to be riding, but I'm hitting the road on foot and with my uh-huh. wife alongside me. So we're going to be modern day nomads. We're going to be walking as many of the long distance footpaths that we can manage, you know, from all the ones in the wonderful British Isles to a few of the biggies, if my body's up to it, you know, maybe the Camino Trail and perhaps even the wow. Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail. But that depends on whether your wonderful country allows me in again, because they, they refused me entry last time because of the um, Iranian stamps in my passport. But that's uh-huh. another story for another yeah. time, Sean. <laughs> So yeah, yeah so I guess it's time for me to become a, a grey nomad and hit the road. I mean, of course, I'm hoping there will be a chance for a big bike ride again. You know, like Cape Town to Cairo is on my list. Mm. But current advice from my doctor and the insurance company is no. But I live in hope. But until yeah. then, you know, it's going to be one foot in front of another. So I guess I'll be expecting a lot of quality podcast content to keep me entertained. So no, <laughs> pre- no pressure, Sean. No pressure at all. Well, and I know one of those listeners will probably be Sam Manicombe, and he was going to want to know, are you going to be a tourist or are you going to be a traveler this time? Uh, you know, I've already started and definitely a traveler. Everything just uh, goes slow now. Yeah. So I just took, I just took a week to walk a hundred miles in the Scottish Highlands, you know, and wow. it, putting one foot in front of the other, not knowing where your destination is that night. Absolutely wonderful. Not actually having for the first time in my life, I don't have to be anywhere. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's kind of a crazy feeling and we're not used to that. We're always just so busy and, and life moves so fast, but. I don't have to be anywhere. Mm. So I'm really excited about it. I envy you this, my friend. I know that there's going to be many things, but can you tell me what you'll miss most about your life with BMW Motorrad? (sighs) Well, I mean, it's an old cliche, isn't it? But they say that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, Mm. And actually that is true for me. You know, I feel so lucky to have spent the last, I don't know, 20 or so years basically sharing the joy of BMW bikes, kind of what you do and what you've done for the last 20 years, you know, but of course I'll miss the regular contact with the BMW Motorrad family around the world, but you know, keeping in touch, it's never been easier than it, than it is now. So th- I guess there are no excuses for not doing that. I'll miss the fantastic team in Munich. Of course, they're, they're 
unbelievable and they've supported me so much over the years i miss those creative challenges you know the challenges of live stream reporting from events product launches racetracks and competitions like the gs trophy i mean it's definitely going to be weird not being at the international gs trophy later this year having been lucky enough to be at the last five events as we spoke about earlier but i'm kind of feeling that it's going to be a real privilege to watch it from a distance though because i know how hard everyone works to bring you know, those inspiring stories to us. So I'm really excited to see it, see it from the other side of the fence. And of course, I'm kind of sad to not be part of the 100th anniversary celebrations in 2023. But mm. honestly, I know I'll still feel very much, you know, a part of what's going on because ultimately it is one big inclusive worldwide family. And from my side, it's a privilege to have played just a small part in spreading that joy and inspiring people to make life a ride. You know, Andy, um, I think I definitely speak for myself and I'm willing to bet that I speak for everyone that is behind you that has listened to this podcast over the years and will continue to do so is that we all stand behind you. We all support you and we're all here for you, no matter what ensuring you on my friend, I wish you absolutely all the best. And the same to you, my friend, and good luck in ensuring that Ride and Talk continues to be the best motorcycle podcast out there. You'll do it. Rock on, dude. <laughs> Rock on, brother. Ha, ha, ha.